You are now listening to Zakaic Podcast, proclaiming Jesus as Savior, Healer, Sanctifier, and Coming King. There is power, there is freedom, there is peace, there is marvelous acts of the Holy Spirit in the presence of God. And tonight, I believe the presence of God is manifested in our midst. And let's continue to immerse ourselves in the working of the Holy Spirit. And this time, we will ask the Spirit of God to continue revealing to us Himself and the marvelous work of God and His very person on how He is allowing us to be transformed into the likeness of His Son, Jesus. One of the many things that I am grateful to God for is the reality of the accountability that we have here in the church in terms of utilizing the resources that God is giving to Zikaek. We are trying to use the money of God with a high accountability process and concept and principles. We do proper accounting here. So let me assure you this evening that whenever you share the blessing that God is giving to you, and you share it to the church, the blessing that you are sharing to the church is handled properly. It is properly accounted. That is why when you, when you share the blessing, when you gave your offering, you can always expect that there are receipts. There at the back portion of the church, there is like a bulletin there, a wooden bulletin, and then there are your receipts inserted in those um, packets that with, with, with the corresponding letters. So if your family name belongs to such a letter, then you find your receipt from there and you'll have it easily. Why do we give receipt? Because we want to be accountable to God and we want to guard ourselves from any temptation. And then when that money is gathered, it is placed to the bank as early as possible. So we don't keep money here at the church. And how do we use that money? How do we spend that money? That money that is shared by God's people will never be used for any personal personal agenda of anybody in the church. This is how we handle the money of the church. Every November of the year, every team leader of a department shall submit a one-year budget with the corresponding plan of action. So it's there already. We submit the one-year plan with the budget to the deacons. And the deacons will consolidate all the expenses that they would project for the following year. After the deacons consolidate all of these matters, they will bring it to the church ministry team for the final approval. So we will all scrutinize everything in that particular team. And then when, we, when it is approved already, that budget will be followed right away on the very first day of the year. The way we would spend the money is already determined by the plan that we have on the previous year. And nobody can just get the money anytime. Because when we are in need of it, what we need for the month, we request it regularly. So all the needs that are, that are going to be um, spent for the worship department, I shall request it at the early part of the month. So for this month of August, this coming August, then I have to request it on the first week of August as well. But after I spent, after we spent the money for the department, for the ministries, 
we ought to liquidate every centavo on that expenses that we had because we want we are accountable to God and so that's how we we do our accountability concept in terms of finances and we have a ministry partner whose work is to check every receipt that is given so on my liquidation I make it sure that not only that I submit a summary of all the expenses but I am attaching all the receipts of all those expenses that would warrant the validity of every expenditure that was done within the ministry. And that checker shall do it for all the liquidations, and when the liquidation that was submitted would pass already, then that's the time that we can request for the budget for the following month. And we have a policy that once it is not properly liquidated, the team leader of the department can never request for the next month's budget. So we have a very high, high accountability in terms of the finances. And when we submit our request for the budget for the next month, at least the first person who's going to scrutinize it is the deacon. The team leader of the deacon shall look at the request and would make sure that what the department head or team leader is requesting is already there stipulated in his annual budget. Because if it's not there, it will not be approved by the deacon. Instead, it shall be brought to the CMT if it's like a special occasion, a special project. So it's going to be like that. And then after the deacon would check it, the treasurer shall check the request as well. For, for him to make sure that that amount that is requested by the team leader is available also in the bank and then there is someone who will do the final checking before the check will be prepared when the check is prepared we have three signatories who will affix their signature to make sure also that this request is gonna be proper and then that's only the time that the check will be released to the ministry head you see we have a very high accountability concept and process and principles apply this serves like a guardrail for all the ministry and the leaders of the church so when you share the blessing of god you are very sure and certain that it goes to the ministry of the living god well that's for the finances that's how we observe accountability as far as finances is concerned but the question that i have for you this evening is this what about in the concept or in the body of believers in terms of our fellowship how is accountability displayed? How can we observe accountability in the fellowship of the believers? Now, there are many stuff that I believe the Bible is mentioning to us. But this evening, I would like to point to you what Luke, Dr. Luke, a historian as well, mentioned in his writing in the book of Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 4. Luke 17, 1 to 4. And listen very carefully because Luke is going to teach us what it means to be accountable in the fellowship, within the fellowship of the believers, within the body of Christ. Luke 17, 1 to 4, it says here from the Nasbi 1995 edition. He said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck 
and he were thrown into the sea. Then that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. May the good Lord bless the reading of his word. Before we delve into these two principles that I have understood here from the book of Luke, because he related two imperatives that are related with how accountability must be seen within the fellowship of the believers. Let me give you first what was happening during this time. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ claimed to be the Messiah. He performed miracles. He taught the scriptures with authority that was never done by any religious leaders in those times. No wonder people were running after him. People were following him. And thus, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, and all those individuals that were highly uh, respected by the society in terms of their religiosity were jealous of the Lord. But not only that they were jealous of him, and yet there were several acts that Jesus did that they do not conform. One of those things that Jesus did that they do not agree with was when Jesus engaged himself with the tax collectors. When Jesus spent time with the sinners, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, whenever they imagine about themselves as holy people, they would isolate themselves from this kind of individuals. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus went to them. Jesus conversed with them. Jesus dined with them. That's what the Lord did. And so these people were looking at him and they said, if this guy is really holy, he must have avoided these individuals. So there is a question that was formulated in their hearts and minds. And I believe that question came out of their ill feelings for the Lord. Now what happened next is that Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking of. Jesus knew exactly what was in their hearts and minds even if they wouldn't say it audibly. The Lord saw, the Lord read what was there deep within them. And so responding to these comments of the Pharisees and the religious leaders about him, Jesus gave them five parables. If you look at chapters 15, 16, the earlier chapters of the text tonight, you would see there that in response to the scrutiny that they were doing to the Lord, Jesus responded with five parables. And these three first three parables were all very familiar to us. They were the parable of the coin, the lost coin, the parable of the lost ship, the parable of the lost son, or some commentators and uh, translators entitled it the parable of the prodigal son. You look at these parables, what do they talk about? They were actually talking about the lost materials, and they were found by their owner. And when they were found by the owner, the owner rejoiced over that fact, over that scenario. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ was talking about here. While the Pharisees and the religious leaders were commenting about what he does with, in relation to the tax collectors and the sinners, you know they hated so much the tax collectors. Why? Because the tax collectors were working for, for Rome. And Rome was a foreign power that was overseeing the entire land of Judea. And they didn't like it. The Jews didn't like the Romans. 
and the tax collectors were representative of the Romans in collecting their taxes. And as I have told you before, the Roman Empire do not or did not, I mean the Roman Empire did not pay anything to the tax collectors. So the tax collectors now would do some scheming for them to survive. What did they do? If the Romans would tell them, I want to have a quota from your area of 100,000 pesos per month. The tax collector, having not receiving anything from Rome, they would devise something. And what did they do? They collected taxes and doubled the amount. When the Romans would tell them your quota is 100,000 pesos, at the end of the month, they would only get 100,000. So if as a tax collector, you collected 200, 100 will be for the Romans, 100 for your pocket. That is why the tax collectors doubled their collections, sometimes even tripled it. So if you belong to that society, you would hate the tax collectors. You would consider them not only as bad people in the society, as liars, as corrupt individuals, but how you would consider them? them? They are traitors. Added to that, Jesus mingled with the sinners. Who were the sinners? Most of the time in the New Testament, sinners are relating about people who were engaging into idolatry, adultery, fornication, and prostitution. And the Lord as a Holy One, as the Messiah, as He claimed to be, was mingling with them. And that's why the Pharisees were really questioning Him. And Jesus responded to Him with a parable. And the parable was the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost, what is this ship? The parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And Jesus was trying to tell them, hey, hey, you are missing the point. I am here on earth because I am looking for those lost souls. And now that I found them, these individuals that you call tax collectors, the traitors, and the sinners, the prostitutes, these are the lost individuals that I am looking for. And now that I am here, the king of the kingdom, I have found them, and I want you to rejoice with me. But the Pharisees failed to do that. The religious leaders did not rejoice over that scenario. They commented negatively about it. They questioned the very person of Jesus and his work. And after relating these three parables, Jesus related again another parable. The parable of the shrewd manager and the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. What happened here is that the latter two parables, they are talking about material things and the greediness of people and the hypocrisy of those who have it. And these two latter parables are actually directed toward the Pharisees and the religious leaders. So take note of this, because this would serve as the backdrop of what we are going to look at in Luke 17. Three parables that talk about the lost materials. And Jesus compared these lost materials to the tax collectors, the sinners, and they are found now, and Jesus is rejoicing about that matter. The latter two parables are talking about material things, wealth, and the greediness of those who try to really get it by hook or by crook, and those individuals that are living in hypocrisy. And he's actually using these two parables to describe the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Look at chapter 16, verse 14. In the author's comment, he mentioned that 
that Jesus was directing this parable toward these religious leaders. And no wonder why, in the mind of Jesus, these individuals who were supposed to lead the people to know God more, to serve God more, to humble themselves before the living God, you know, they were becoming stumbling blocks before the believers. And Jesus was very alarmed about this matter. No wonder, when you look at chapter 17, verses 1 to 4, in the first two verses, Jesus warned them about the reality of stumbling blocks around them. The text tells us that Jesus looked at his disciples and said to them, you know, there are stumbling blocks around and it's inevitable. And he was actually telling them about the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Beware, no wonder, when you look at verse 3, he talked about a warning. Now, naturally, if you read verse, let's look at verse 3. When you read verse 3, it's seemingly really a part of that verse. Because in verse 3, there are three commands given. Be, be on your guard, based on NASB. Be on your guard, rebuke, and forgive. Okay? These are three commandments given in verse 3. But as I study the text, I think it falls more. The first commandment shall be part of verses 1 and 2. My dear friends, originally, when the New Testament was written, there were no verses and there were no chapters. They were written in a form of a prose. And the modern-day scholars and translators added the verses and the chapters so that the modern-day readers will easily locate the statement from the Scriptures. Imaginein mo na lang, eh kung walang chapters and verses, and somebody would ask you, saan nga yung, for God so loved the world? And your answer will be, um, somewhere in the middle or somewhere at the beginning part of the book of John. How will you locate it easily? So it's going to be tough for us. So these modern-day scholars made it easy for the modern-day readers to locate the passage. That's why verses and chapters were, were placed there in the Bible. It's not adding messages to it. It's just making it easier for the modern-day readers. And as I look at this verse, I think the warning in verse 3 shall be part of verse 2. Because verses 1 and 2, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was telling them, you know what, there are really a lot of stumbling blocks, stumbling blocks around us, these Pharisees and the religious leaders, and I want you to be very careful about them. Be on your guard, lest you will be tempted to do the same. They, you will be stumbled and you will sin. You will commit something negative before God. So beware, be on your guard. And then after doing so, Jesus acknowledged the reality of human frailty. He acknowledged our weaknesses, that there is really a possibility that you and I would fall into sin. There's a possibility. No wonder he gave us two important matters. And these two important matters that we will be seeing in verse 3 alone will give us the idea of what it means to be accountable in the fellowship of the body of Christ. The first one is this. Look at the second line of verse 3 when he said, If your brother sins, the following statement is, rebuke him. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Well, reality is that normally, especially for Filipinos like us, we don't like a person who rebukes. 
Let's all be honest about here. Even children, right? When there is an adult who's fond of rebuking them for the wrong things they did, next time they will see that adult, the children will just move away from him or her. Why? Even children didn't like to be rebuked. How much more adults, we don't like it. However, it's a fact that it mentioned here. It is a command by Luke, Dr. Luke. And God used him to give this commandment so that you and I will be accountable to each other. That is why when we see someone in the fellowship, in the body of believers who is sinning, we are accountable to God. We ought to tell that person what you do is wrong. And let's take note of this, that there is a point of reference for this matter. What's the point of reference? It's the Word of God. It's the truth of God. That is why here is the first thing that should make us, I mean, here is the first thing that we should remember about the concept of accountability here. In the body of Christ, we must be truth-oriented in all things. And our accountability shall be truth-oriented. When we see the Scriptures and a brethren is sinning, is violating what is stipulated in the Word of God, we must have the audacity and the big heart to tell the person, bro, sis, I think something is wrong. Something is wrong. If we truly love a brother, if we truly love a sister, we would have the heart to tell the person when he or she commits sin. In our society today, you know what happens? If you don't agree with your friend, even in their wrongdoings, you are not a good friend. Have you not observed that? Young people, listen very carefully. One of the many pressures that you experience is what we call the peer pressure. Added to that is the pressure that you find in the social media in these days. That when you don't agree on the wrongdoings, you are not a friend. That's crazy. Because as believers, our accountability is truth-oriented. So whether your friend likes it or not, if you love the person and you find him doing something that is wrong, we ought to tell him, bro, with a big heart, with so much love in our hearts, telling him, bro, there is something wrong with what you do. Please, please, please listen to me. There is something wrong with what you do, and I'm here to help you. And this is actually true love. True love would take the risk of telling the person when there is something wrong because true love abides with what is truth. Because if love does not abide with what is truth or real or what is pleasing to God, then that love is problematic. That love is not going to be, that love is subjective. That love is not objective. But when a person comes to you and says, brother, sister, I am so concerned about you. But what happened Oftentimes, what happens all the time is that we hate when people come to us and rebuke us because it hurts us, right? Even between a husband and a wife, you know, when a husband does something and the wife would say, I don't agree with what you did, sometimes the husband bursts out right away and feels that 
you are, you know, I'm the leader of the family. I'm the, I'm the one who's the head of the family. You know, that's in the Bible. Why are you questioning my decision? No, no, no. The wife shall say, no, 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 my darling. I'm not questioning your decision. Based on the scriptures, there's something wrong with what you did. The, the pride inside is tickled when somebody rebukes us. But instead of driving them away, but instead of pushing them away from us because we hate their rebukes, I tell you, I tell you, you we must change the way we see these people because actually many times, not only sometimes, many times, they are sent by God as representatives of His grace for us to be changed, for us to be transformed, for us to be conformed into the image of Christ. They are representations of God's grace for all of us. Because what God desires is for you and me to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And if we don't have people like this around us, what are we going to be? Our becoming is very dangerous because if we keep on sinning and nobody is rebuking us, we are really heading towards destruction. I tell you, we're going towards that direction. But when someone comes and tells us, bro, something is wrong, and I love you, that's why I'm telling you this. I know you might hate me for doing this, but I, I want to assure you, I really love you, that's why I tell you this. Oh, by the way, Please also don't be like a policeman that you come to church and watch other people about their do wrongdoings. Why? Because in the context of this time, during the time of Luke, they did not have churches like this that meet every Sunday and then we gather as a big crowd. No, no, they didn't do like that in those days. The early New Testament church gathered in house churches. They gathered in house churches, meaning to say, when, when Luke said here, if there is someone in your brother who sinned, you rebuke. What is he talking about? Who are, the, who are those people that compose the, the church, house church? It's the family. It's actually your family. Your brother will be there. Your sister will be there. Your biological mom will be there. Your son, your daughter will be there. And sometimes the extended family, your cousins will be there with you. And you're worshiping together, meaning to say you have connection. You have affinity. You are related to each other. And that's why you have that relationship that you stand on and you can correct each other. You can rebuke each other. And that, let's not make this, let's not understand this wrongly. Because today, if you come to church and then you met someone and you see that something is wrong with the person's life and you don't even know the person, even if he is or she is your brother or sister in Christ, think twice before you rebuke the person. Maybe you are not the right person to tell him. Except if you operate within the boundary of authority in the church. And someone complained, and this complaint is really attested also by the person himself, and is willing to write about it, then it will be dealt with. But if you are not related to the person, you don't even have a relationship, think twice. Maybe you are not the right person to do that. But rebuke here is exercised by the believers. And this is a reality that we need to embrace as Christians. Because if we want to be accountable, we ought to be truth-oriented. And because we are truth-oriented, our accountability shall also be truth-oriented. The second thing that I found here is on the last part of verse 3. Listen to what Luke penned down here at the last part. 
he said. And if he repents, forgive him. Listen very carefully. Luke did not say if he goes to you and asks for forgiveness, forgive him. He is very specific here. The word he used is repent. There is a big difference between a person asking for forgiveness from a person repenting. What's the difference? If you look at the English word, it is like watered down if you look at the term repent. Asking for forgiveness is just being sorry for what you have done and asking the person not to make you accountable anymore for the wrong things that you have made. Repentance is different. If you look at the Greek text and how it meant in those days when Luke wrote this down, repentance literally conveys the idea of a 180 degrees change direction. For example, I am heading towards this direction. If I repent, that's a decision that will make me turn to the other side of it. It's not just saying sorry. If I am heading toward sinful acts, sinful thoughts, if I am committing adultery, if I am committing lies day and night, if I am corrupting against my brother and sister, if I am a person who is morally, morally down, and I repent, that shall change my direction now. If I was heading toward the work of Satan, I shall change my direction towards the work of God. Things that will honor the Lord. That's repentance. So it's different from just saying, I'm sorry. If I hurt you, I'm sorry. And you do it again later. If you just say sorry and you keep doing it, you're playing with words. You're fooling yourself. I am fooling myself if I'm doing that. But what Luke is saying here, if a brother is repentant, there is a genuine intention of a changed heart and being transformed by the Spirit of God deep within him, inside out, then that person must be given forgiveness right away. Somebody asked me earlier, Pastor, what do you mean by that? If the person would come to you and ask for forgiveness and will not repent, shall you not give forgiveness also? I said, that's not the point of the text. The point of the text is that when a person repents, you must be ready to forgive the person. However, in the other portion of the scriptures, it is also advised to the believers. It is taught among the believers that we ought to forgive our brothers and sisters who wrong us. So forgiveness is not limited within this context, but what Luke is trying to emphasize is that within the body of Christ, within this body of accountability, we ought to release forgiveness right away when the person is repentant about the matter. Two things that would help us observe accountability in the body of Christ. First, we must be truth-oriented because we are advised to rebuke. Second, we must be relationship-oriented. That's why we learn to forgive. Rebuke, forgive. Rebuke, forgive. We cannot just leave our brother and sister doing the wrong things. In the church, it shall not be, I don't care about you. 
Pinaanaana pag naong, mm, I don't care. It shall not be like that. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. The Spirit of God lives in you. The Spirit of God lives in me. He dwells in your seatmate's life. He dwells at the person's life in front of you. Then we ought to be concerned because we belong to one body. What happens to one person who is part of that body affects the other part of it. No wonder if you have a toothache, you feel that it's your entire body who is experiencing the pain and then it affects your hands, your legs, and your entire body, and you don't like to go to work. Why? Because of the toothache. It's just a little part of your body, but the entire body is affected. And it's the same thing in the body of Christ. No wonder we ought to be accountable about each other. When someone is doing something wrong, rebuke. And when the person repents, forgive. These are important elements of the accountability in the body of Christ. And we shall keep each other together in the Lord. Now, there is a saying among the Catholic people that says, a family that prays together stays together. Right? I shall say within the boundary of accountability, the family that rebukes each other according to the truth and the family that forgives each other stays in the family of Christ forever. It is only that accountability that would help us stay in the family of Christ. Let me close this message with a very sad illustration. I, I really admire one of the greatest apologists, Christian apologists, in the two previous decades. I won't mention to you his name. He goes to different universities all over the world. He speaks before students. He, he creates an open forum for every student coming from different worldviews, different religions, different formations of man, mind in life. And they would ask him questions. And with all those giftings that God has endowed to him, he was able to address the issues and questions about Christianity. And he was able to convince many people all over the world about Christ and the faith. But at the end part of his life, it was found out that he was living in immorality. Sad, sad reality. Somebody who is considered a giant in the evangelical circles, and yet he left, he lived and left with that kind of note in his life. He ended with a bad note, an immoral act that he did for many years. My friends, if you scrutinize and look further, what's the reason behind how it happened? He did not have accountability. No matter how great you are, no matter how gifted we can be, no matter how wealthy we can be, if we do not have accountability, we are in a great danger. We are in that danger zone. Ug sa Bisaya pa, why mayong laki aning trabaho we are vulnerable. That's why we need each other. So in the body of Christ, let's continue to observe this. Rebuke with the truth and forgive because we are relationship-oriented. May this keep on ringing in your hearts and minds as the Lord would continue to transform us, not only individually, but at his, as His church, as one body of Christ. God bless you all and good evening. You just heard the message from Zumbuanga City Alliance Evangelical Church. 
We hope that it will help you in your journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. For more updates, you can follow us in our social media platforms in Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Zekayak Ministries. See you there!